first of all, I just want to welcome you here as we gather for worship. If you are here as a guest, like this is like maybe your first time, or you haven't been here very many times, I just want to ask if it would be okay, uh, just in the seat in front of you, uh, in the seat right in front of you, there is a shelf. And if you would be so kind, if you're a guest or a first-timer, or maybe this is your third time or whatever, and you've never filled one of those out, there's a little card in there that says Creekside, and we just like to have your information so we can make a personal contact with you. If you'd be willing to give that to us, we'd sure appreciate it. And you can just leave it in the seat when you leave. Okay, just leave it on top of the seat, or you can see uh, somebody out at the the, uh, at the hub there at the um, guest central. That'd be great. Okay, let's pray. Father, on a beautiful and glorious day, uh, we gather to worship you and singing these songs. And I pray that we would be able to say with confidence, "Here in the power of Christ, I stand." And I pray that you would open our eyes uh, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law. Teach us, we pray. Change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I've only been to Haiti a few times, actually two times, but in Haiti, you'll see a picture on the screen of a downtown uh, Lakai, which is a city on the southern part of Haiti. In Haiti, my experience has been that the electrical supply is very unreliable and it is very inconsistent. Uh, the individuals who live there and the businesses who are there, they don't know when the electricity is going to come on and they don't know how long it's going to stay on when it does come on. In fact, the last time I was there, between the hours of 2 and 4 in the morning, that's when the electricity was on. And so the people who did business that related to that, like especially people who do welding and things like that, who need the electric supply, they had to work when the electricity is on. It's very inconvenient. And this keeps them from, from getting done what they need to get done or want to get done. And sadly, as I think about that, what the people of Haiti experience on a physical level, many believers experience on a spiritual level. An inconsistent and unreliable supply of power in our lives. And it's just really impossible to speak up. It's impossible to grow up. It's impossible to build up unless we power up Leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't happen unless the Spirit of God is the one who's doing the work. And for that to happen, we have to be connected to the power source. And what follows in the things that I'm going to be sharing, for the most part, I, it's, it's, a lot of this has been presented in and or prompted by a couple of chapters in John MacArthur's book, Strange Fire. This morning, I want us to look at the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in His work in helping us lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at several Scripture passages uh, that reveal three important activities of the Spirit, which I think, at least for me, that inspire me to rely upon the Spirit's power and also instruct me as to 
how I can be powered up. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you. And if you don't, I think there's one in the seat underneath there. If there isn't, well, maybe we should get some. But there, I'm going to turn to John chapter 16. The first way that we see the first important activity of the Spirit is that the Spirit's work is involved in our salvation. I want to look at the Spirit's work in our salvation. John 16, verses 17 through 11, Jesus, in his last discussion with the disciples before he went to the cross, the Olivet Discourse, he, he, uh, he says this, or the Upper Room Discourse, I'm sorry, the Upper Room Discourse, he says this in John 16, verse, beginning with verse 7, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer behold me, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged." Four steps that the Spirit of God takes in regards to our salvation. First of all, the Spirit of God convicts the unredeemed of sin. The text says that He, in verse 8, and He, when He comes, will convict the world. Now, the world has to do with the unredeemed people in the world, okay? He convicts them. The Spirit of God is the helper, the helper when He comes. This is the Greek word, the parakletos, the one who's called alongside to assist us. He's the counselor, the comforter. In John chapter 14, in verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, And when I go, I will send the comforter to be with you, the helper. He will be with you and provide for you. And it's this comforter who convicts the world, the unredeemed world, of sin. I mean, think about it. Why would we think that what we're doing is wrong? Many of the people you know, in your family, in your workplace, they go on, they do things that you know are wrong, and they don't have a clue that what they're doing is wrong. They don't think it's wrong at all. In fact, they think they're justified in doing it, and they're not nearly as bad as the next person. But it's the Spirit of God who convicts us of our sin. The Scripture says, and this is the judgment in John 3, 19, and this is judgment, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Marla and I have a friend who serves as a head of a mission agency in another country, and he has several people working with him and under him. And one of these is a pastor. This pastor used to be a hitman. And when I say a hitman, I mean a hitman. He would take people out because of their faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God convicted him of his sin. And brought him to a place where he turned from his sin and trusted in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And now he is leading a congregation of people. That's the Spirit of God working in that man's heart, in his life. And then he will convict the world of 
righteousness. That is, He will convince the world that they are wicked and that God is righteous and they are not. And then of judgment. It's amazing the Spirit of God convinces the unrighteous that they deserve God's judgment. Because nothing else is going to do it. No one else is going to do it. A few weeks ago, I was driving home. Well, I don't know where home is, okay? So forgive me, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in Urbandale five days a week, and I'm in Albert City two days a week. Uh, this is our soon-to-be home, but right now, my, when my wife is there, that's home, and when we're here, this is home, okay? So just forgive me if I... I'm driving back to Albert City, and I'm about you know, 10, 15 minutes away, and, I, and it's dark, and I see in my rearview mirror... I see these lights, you know, red and white and flashing and swirling, and I'm going, <gasps> now, when you see those lights in your rearview mirror, what's the first reaction? What's the first thing you do? Hit the brakes, right? I mean, it's just, okay. And so I pull over to the side of the road, and he goes whizzing by. You see, you see those lights in your rearview mirror, and you are convicted. You know, you, you say, oh, judgment's coming. You know, judgment is coming. It's the Spirit of God who convicts the, the world of their sin. And isn't it interesting, in John 16, 11, he says and the, the, that he has convicted the judge, the judge, he has judged the ruler of this world. Who's the ruler of this world? The enemy, Satan. And if Christ, and using the Spirit of God, has convicted the ruler of this world of sin and of his need for judgment, then everyone who is in concert with the ruler of this world has already been judged as well. That's the point that he wants to make. You see, the Spirit awakens the conscience of the unbeliever to see their sin, God's righteousness, their wickedness, and the judgment that's coming, and that's it. But then he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just convict us of sin and say, okay, nice knowing you. Uh, you're, 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 you're dead in the water. He converts us. That's the second thing the Spirit of God does. Take your Bibles and turn over to Titus. That's just after First and Second Timothy. You get to Titus, and uh, just before Philemon. In Titus chapter 3, we read this, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Who saved us? God saved us. Okay, he goes on to tease it out a little bit. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's kind of a mouthful. The washing or regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit basically means new birth. It's what Jesus talked about in John chapter 3. You must be born again. Isn't it, uh, not too long ago, the, those, those words were just kind of not, you didn't really want to use those words, right? Born again. It's like, well, if you're one of those born again people, you're kind of a weird person, at least in the United States, because it was like associated with some televangelists who had a bad rap, and so it was like, can't be born again. Except I kept saying, why not? It's in the Bible. You must be born again. What does he mean? The, the, the Spirit of God has to work and renew 
within us. The work of the rebirth is a divine prerogative. In John chapter 3, what does Jesus say? The wind blows wherever it wills. What does that mean? The Spirit of God is moving in the world, bringing, drawing, working, and bringing people to Himself. That's what it means. At the moment of salvation, it's God, the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, uses His Word to convict of sin, to bring to repentance, to produce faith, and to bring new birth. Now, theologians go on and on and on about, you know, know, what is the order of salvation. You know, I just like to say, there's a whole lot happens at the moment a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. But it is the Spirit of God who is the agent washing, renewing, and regeneration by the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Titus. And prayer is just the response of faith that, that... that we express to God. It's like, okay, Lord, I realize that I'm messed up. And I deserve your judgment. And right now, I just accept that Jesus died on the cross as the payment for my sin. And I turn from my wicked ways and I trust in you and I invite you to be my Lord and my Master. That, that's, you know, the words are not magic, but that's the idea that we communicate to God. And this is the response of faith that the Spirit of God prolongs within us and we become a new creature. And as a believer, you know, we sing these songs. We're free from the penalty of sin, which is death. We're free from the power of sin, which means we no longer have to sin. We're no longer slaves of sin. This is Romans chapter 6. And eventually we will be free from the presence of sin in heaven. That's the Spirit of God working within us. I love 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, His great mercy, His mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He caused us to be born again. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Who is responsible for our salvation? God is. The Spirit of God working in us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit bringing about new birth. And it's amazing. Then He not only convicts and converts, but He comes alongside and dwells within us. And this is Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. We're all baptized by one Spirit. Whether Jews or Gentiles or slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one Spirit. It is the indwelling of the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 14. When I go away, then I'm going to send the Spirit of God. He'll come to dwell within you if you are one of my children. He comes to dwell within us. Baptism, and we announced it in the first service, but we're planning a baptism. And if you're interested in baptism, see one of the elders. But what does baptism mean? 
it means identification with or union with. So when Christ baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, he, he brings us into identification with himself, into union with Christ and with every other believer. That's why building up is impossible apart from the Spirit of God because it's only as we are united in Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit, that's how we have this identification, this union with Him. That's what it means to be in, in union with Him and united by Him. Friday night, we had homecoming back where my daughter's going to high school. And, you know, so everybody's wearing their colors, right? You know, they wear their team colors. Everybody wears their team colors. That's how you know you're one of the team. Apart from the presence of the Spirit of God, we're not on God's team. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 11 say this, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who indwells you. No Spirit, not on the team. Now, that's not, you know, it's not that you can't be on the team, it's just that you aren't on the team. You read Ezekiel uh, 33, God doesn't delight in the death of the ungodly. He wants you on the team. But it's the Spirit of God who brings us and comes to dwell within us that makes us part of the team. And in fact, our very bodies are His. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God and, you're not, and not from yourselves? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Why? Because it's the Spirit of God dwelling within us if we're His children. Without the Spirit, we're not a child of God. And finally, He confirms our salvation. Not only does He convict us of sin, the unredeemed of sin, so that they can be converted, which the Spirit of God brings about, and comes to dwell within us, but then finally He confirms our salvation. And I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In Ephesians 1, 13, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, that's the key, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. You see, we're saved not for our glory, but for God's glory. But here's the deal. Seal. What does it mean you were sealed? To be sealed, it has to do with this idea of identification, a mark of identification, because in the ancient Near East, in the ancient world, they used a wax seal on every important document, on letters and on legal contracts and on important documents, and they would take the hot wax and then the, every person had their own ring with their own specific identification mark and they would impress it into the hot wax so that it would prove this was their seal. They didn't have to know how to write their name. I'm sure they did, but they, they just impressed it into the wax, and that was their identification mark, that that was theirs. So what it says here is that the Spirit of God is God's mark sealing us as His own. 
It's our identification mark that we belong to God. Now, I'm sure that some of you have seen a John Wayne Western or some sort of a Western movie where they branded cattle, right? Same idea. That's their cow, you know. It has their brand on it. If you're here this morning and you're trusting Jesus Christ and His death alone as a payment for your sin, you've been branded. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit promise. We are declared to be God's eternal possession. And I'll say this, my conviction is if you're God's eternal possession, that means forever. That doesn't mean you can be His possession one moment and not in His possession the next moment. You're forever His possession. But it doesn't stop there. It says, and He is a pledge. The Spirit not only guarantees our inheritance in Christ with His seal, but is also Christ's pledge. Or some would say down payment. He's the first installment guaranteeing that all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus are ours. You say, okay, well, so um, does that really matter? Yeah, it does matter to us. You see, I would say, that there's no greater miracle than new birth. And people talk about all these miraculous things that happen. There's absolutely nothing more miraculous than God's Spirit working in the heart of someone who is living in rebellion against Him, gripping and convicting and converting and drawing and bringing that person to Himself. And what I'd like to say is if you're here this morning and that has happened in your life, that's a great reason to praise God. Because there's absolutely nothing you and I did to facilitate that. We responded by God's grace. And if you're here this morning and you, you, you're like, well, I'm not sure. He's talking about knowing Christ and being saved and trusting and turning just ponder it. Because if the Spirit of God is prompting you and convicting you of sin, then don't ignore it. Secondly, the Spirit's work in our proclamation. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Very familiar passage. This is not rocket science for those who've been in the church. Acts chapter 1, 8. But you, Jesus telling the the Disciples shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. You will receive power. The Spirit's work in our ministry of speaking up. See, now, we talked about speaking up the very first sermon in this message of where we headed. But the Spirit's Work in speaking up is at least twofold. First of all, the Spirit empowers our witness. Now, this is a promise to the people. You go, well, you're a pastor, you should know this. This is a promise made to those people, those disciples. Yes, but it doesn't just end with those disciples. It's for all of His disciples. We have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And it's power to be His witnesses. There's a man I know, and he serves in, a, in another country, and He's just an acquaintance of mine, so it's not like I, you know, I'm not trying to name drop. I don't know all these, you know, uh, this guy, I just know who he is. I've met him before and talked to him, and uh, he was working with Muslim people, and he had these two guys that he was meeting with, 
and their brothers. And he challenged, he gave each of them a Bible. And he says, I want you to go and read this Bible. And I think he gave them passages to read in the Bible. And both of those guys, now this was in a, in a place where it really wasn't safe for him to do this. Independent from each other, both of those brothers, the Spirit of God convicted them. The Spirit of God converted them. The Spirit of God came to dwell within them. And the Spirit of God confirmed their salvation. They came to faith in Jesus Christ. They were, they were scared to death, literally, to tell each other that they had come to personal faith in Jesus Christ because their life was on the line. This guy I know had the boldness in Christ to say, here's a Bible. I want you to read it. I wonder, you know, and it's like, it wasn't just this guy who has that power. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus, you and I have the same Spirit of God dwelling within us with the same power to embolden us for witness. But I must confess, I'm, I, I just don't always draw on that power. I'm not always powered up. You know? I'm not always powered up. I love Paul. At the end of Acts, in Acts chapter 26, Paul is headed to Rome where he's going to be tried. And he's sitting around, you know, and he's talking to Felix and then Festus. And now Agrippa comes on, the king Agrippa comes, and he goes before, Paul goes before Agrippa. And he, and he says to Agrippa, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa says to him, oh, Paul, you, 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 you want me to become a Christian. And Paul goes, duh. I, I mean, he didn't say that. But he goes, well, of course, I, I want everyone within earshot, everybody I know, I want them to be as I am except for these chains. I want them to know Christ. And Paul, you'd say, well, Paul, that's Paul. I, I can't do that. I was at a conference once, and one of the speakers was sharing. This is when I was in college, way back in college. My wife and I were both involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, and we were down in Daytona Beach, and I was down Daytona Beach. Marla wasn't in Daytona Beach at that time. But I was at Daytona Beach, and one of the conference speakers says, you know, I, I, was at, I was at a conference like this, and I was out on the beach, and we walked up, me and this other guy, we walked up to some just random people on the beach, and we said, hey, can we, can we do a little survey with you? We'd like to talk to you about some stuff. We'd like to talk to you about, you know, what you think about God and Jesus and stuff. And there's like this big weightlifter dude, you know. It wasn't Venice Beach, you know, where the devil, but this guy was really buff, and He's looking down on these two little scrawny Christian guys who want to share Jesus with him. And he goes, no, I don't want to hear what you got to say. And the guy telling the story goes, I went, okay, let's go. But the guy he was with looked the guy square in the guy and says, do you want me to tell you why you don't want to hear what we have to say? Ooh. And then he quoted John 3.19. Light has come into the world and the world has not received them because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And your deeds are evil. That's why you don't want to hear what we have to say. And you say, well, I could never do that. Well, I'm not sure I could either. But uh, there is power in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God empowers our witness. The Spirit of God empowers our weakness. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, lest we think, oh, Paul, you know, he could do anything because he was like a super apostle, which he was. But he said to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 4, he says, my, my, my witness and my message and my preaching 
We're not with persuasive words of man's wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but what? In the, in the power of God. I, I love the fact that, that Paul was intentionally clear about the truth of the gospel. But he wasn't really clever. You know, he wasn't trying to be cutesy. He was factual, but he wasn't flashy. He just told him the gospel. He understood that nobody is saved without the facts, but nobody is saved only by the facts. Did you get that? Nobody is saved without the facts of the gospel, but nobody is saved just by the facts of the gospel. The Spirit of God has to work. So, you know, I love it in these apologetics. I had apologetics when I was in seminary, you know, in the apologetics courses, and they're saying, well, you know, you just have to lay out the facts, and then people can't dispute the facts. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 sometime. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. But the God who said, let there be light... When did he say that? Genesis chapter 1. Let there be light. Has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. If it isn't God removing the blinders from our eyes, we don't see. If you want the life in Christ, ask God to remove the scales from your eyes that you might see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You see... This is what we must understand. We bring the saving knowledge of Christ to people, but it is the Spirit of God who brings people to the saving knowledge of Christ. We bring the saving knowledge of Christ to people, but it is the Spirit of God who brings people to the saving knowledge of Christ. That their faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, here at Creekside, we just want to keep sharing the gospel. We want to share the gospel. We want to share the gospel. And if God brings people to faith in Christ, praise God, not us. Praise to Him. Elsewhere, Paul heralded it. The weakness of men in presenting the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, he says, We have this treasure, the treasure being the message of the gospel, that we can be freed from our sins and the death and the punishment of sin. We... We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Literally clay pots. You know, so, so your body is a clay pot. That's what he means by vessels. Our human bodies, clay pots. I heard somebody say once, he says, look at the person next to you and say, hey, that pot you have isn't, worth, isn't much, is it? Uh, you know, that your, your, your pot isn't worth much. And that's true. It's a clay pot. It's a clay jar. That the surpassing greatness of the power might be of God and not of ourselves. So that when people come to faith in Christ, we don't say, wow, you know, we really got this evangelism thing down here. You say, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Now, I don't know about you, but to know that it is the Spirit of God who works in our proclamation is a very freeing thing for me. I don't save anybody. You don't save anybody. The Spirit of God does that. It's a very humbling thing. Uh, to, it's a very freeing thing to know that I don't see, but it's a very humbling thing to know that I have the same power. 
So the Spirit of God's work in our salvation, the Spirit of God's work in our proclamation, the Spirit of God's work in our sanctification, our growth, in order for us to grow up individually, personally, and as a body, to build each other up as a, as a body, it is the Spirit of God's power that enables us to grow up personally and to build each other up corporately. In Romans chapter 8, now you guys, many of you will know this, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And you have to be careful when you quote that verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to them that love God and to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. So He redeemed us to transform us. He redeemed us to conform us to the image of His Son. Sanctification is the process whereby the Spirit reveals Christ to us in the Word and progressively conforms us to His image by the Word. He reveals Him through the Word and conforms us by the Word. So the Word of God is absolutely essential in our transformation process. So how does the Spirit work in the believer's lives? Well, uh, I think we have this, uh, if you look at the, it's, the Spirit does several things, okay? And there are several activities of the Spirit that paint the complete picture. So there's the baptism of the Spirit, we talked about that, okay? There is the indwelling of the Spirit, there's the sealing of the Spirit, we've talked about all that. But there are three other things I want to mention. First of all, the Spirit fills us. The Spirit fills us. This is Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, but be which is, and I love the old version, you know, dissipation. So what is dissipation? It sounds like a disease. Well, it is kind of. Uh, but, uh, but be filled with the Spirit. And literally, and, you know, it's, it's be being filled. Okay. Now, I'm not an English person, okay? So, I mean, I taught English for 12, 14 years overseas, to people so I could share Jesus with them. The, the, teaching English was like the, the labor of love so I could share the gospel with them. You know, it's like, I don't know anything. I, I hardly know anything about English. I learned more English studying Greek than I ever did in high school okay, or college. But it, it's a present passive, which means it's an ongoing activity that is, we're allowing to happen to us. So be being filled is something we allow that, to, to happen in our own life. It's constant surrender to the Spirit's power and influence. It's submission to the Spirit. So then our attitudes and our words and our thoughts are subject to Him. Now, it's a little better clear when you look at the contrast. Notice how the verse starts. Don't be drunk with wine. Well, okay, don't be drunk. What does it mean to be drunk? It means to be under the influence, right? So don't be drunk with wine, be drunk with the Spirit. Don't be drunk under the influence of alcohol, but be under the influence. Allow yourself to be under the influence. That's it. Drunk people allow themselves to be under the influence of alcohol. Your Christians are supposed to allow ourselves to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. That's what he's saying permit themselves to be completely under the influence, and it's not accidental. 
and you can write these two verses down, but Ephesians 5.18 and 19 is parallel in Paul's thought with Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. In Colossians 3, he, he says, um, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart towards God. If you look at that, you see the results of being filled with the Spirit and letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly are the same. So that being filled with the Spirit is actually being surrendered to the Word of God and filled with the Word of God. But I can't be filled with it if I'm never in it. So being filled with the Spirit is being filled with God's Word and, and surrendering to it completely. Allow the, the Scriptures to permeate our hearts and our minds so that our response and our attitudes and our actions and our words becomes God's response. Now, I'll just be the first to confess, like, what was it? Uh, Marla, when was that? Was it? I don't even remember what day it was. Friday? Uh, yeah, Friday. I mean, I just had a meltdown. I mean, I was just kind of like, man, I was just overwhelmed with stuff. I was just like, which is a duh moment, really. When can we do anything? I'm slow, okay? I've been walking this Jesus walk for many, many years, and I'm still a duh. I, I mean, it's like, I can't do this. And God goes, Steve, really? I mean, when did you think you could? Be being filled. Yes. The Word of God says that He is sufficient for my needs, that He will never leave me or forsake me, that He's walking through me in this journey. I'm not alone, and neither are you if you know Jesus. That's the blessedness of being in Christ, is that the Spirit of God is working in and through us and with us to conform us to His image. And the, the Bible uses like being led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. Those are just like synonyms for being filled with the Spirit, Okay. So those are the kind of the idea. To walk means ongoing. What do you, when you walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? That means that conscious choice of every step of our ordinary lives to bring our thoughts, our words, and our actions into submission to the Word of God. Because who wrote the Bible anyway? 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, God the Spirit breathed it. So if God the Spirit breathed it, then to be filled with the Spirit means to be filled with His words, to live in submission to His word. So we have to be people of the word. But we don't just take it in. It's not just cognitive knowledge. It's not just, oh, I know the Bible. And that's the danger of growing up in the church because we know the truth. The question is, are we living the truth? I watched this play. 2014, I think it was, Super Bowl. The Seattle Seahawks against the New England Patriots. The Seattle Seahawks are on the two-yard line. They have the, the number one running back in the entire NFL, Mar, Marshawn Lynch. The guy could make two yards in his sleep. And they call a pass play that's intercepted, and they lose the Super Bowl. But the players ran the play that the coach called. Our coach just wants us to run the plays that he calls. Difference is, they lose, we win. Okay? Just run the plays that the coach calls. And this is the playbook. Okay? We just run the plays that the coach calls. 
We're led by the Spirit into triumph. And the Spirit's game plan for godliness is to live according to the Bible. So he fills us, and then secondly, he produces spiritual fruit. This is Galatians 5. You all know this. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruit. Now, just a little pet peeve of mine, people say the fruits of the Spirit. No. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? It is the fruit that is produced by the presence of the Spirit within us. Jesus told the people in John or Matthew chapter 7, there, there, are, there are only two kind of trees. Trees that produce good fruit and trees that produce bad fruit. If the Spirit of God is in us, we produce spiritual fruit. My folks have an apple tree. How do I know it's an apple tree? Because it doesn't produce oranges. Okay? It produces only apples. I think we need to look at our lives and say, is there a production? Am I increasing in love, in joy, and peace and patience. It's the Spirit of God that produces it. So if the Spirit is present, it will be produced in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds. By the Spirit's power, we're conformed to the image of Christ. We do our work. Doesn't mean we sit on the lump. Okay, Spirit of God, make me holy. I have to do what the Word says. I have to be involved. I get out and do things, and then the Spirit of God works in me and through me and changes and transforms me. It is by obedience, John 14, 21. By, the, by this you will know that uh, he, who has, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me, and he who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him. And what will he do? He will make himself known to us. How does God make himself known to us? Through our obedience. He produces that fruit within us. And finally, he grants us spiritual gifts for service. How do we build each other up to the gifts that we use? Hey, I'm glad, you're glad, I'm not up here singing to lead the worship. Praise God. Some of you have organizational gifts. Some of you have administrative gifts. Some of you have giving gifts. Some of you have praying gifts. Some of you have leadership gifts. Use the gifts that God has given us for the glory of God, for the advancement of the cause of Christ. He gives us those gifts. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 7. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but as the body, the health of the body is dependent upon everybody using their gift. Our daughter, Shara, tore her ACL when she was in uh, uh, eighth grade, freshman year. I can't remember. Yeah, freshman year, just for her freshman year. And she had this graft put in on her ACL, and the, the body nourished all of the body her body was not healthy completely because of the torn ACL. But when you grafted it in, the other parts of the body started capillary, starting feeding it, nurturing and strengthening it, so it got better. That's the body of Christ working together for the glory of God. Now, some of you sit there and say, that's fine, it's nice. No, I, don't, I don't need your power source to live my life. It's true. You can live your life without the Holy Spirit. A lot of people do. A lot of people die. What I would challenge you to think is that the, the life without the Spirit is so 
much deficient from the life in the Spirit. It's so empty. The life in the Spirit gives us so much more meaning to life and provides us with the promise and the hope and the guarantee of eternal life that I and we would not want you to live a lesser life. We would want you to know the presence and have the presence of the Spirit living in and through you. So you can have God's best now and for eternity. And so as we take a few moments to uh, break bread and and take the cup this morning. I invite you, if you're the skeptic here this morning, saying, I don't need that spirit guy uh, working in my, my life. I want you to take a few moments and consider the reminder of this bread and cup brings us to the riches that are available to those who are in the spirit. What is that reminder? It's a reminder that we are free from the penalty of sin. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free. We're no longer condemned. There is free from the power of sin in our lives. We can be victorious over sin in our life. There is peace. And when I was 13 years old, one of the things that meant the most to me about the gospel, there is purpose that transcends this life. I live for a purpose that's beyond me. That's the new life in Christ that he offers that we remember. Now, I can't and I wouldn't want to convince you otherwise because it's the Spirit's job, right, to convince you to turn from your sin and to trust in Christ. But if the Spirit of God is prompting you, don't resist. Don't resist. Relinquish. Wave the white flag of surrender. Okay, Lord, I surrender to you. This is the Lord's table, not our table. So if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to partake of the elements. But take the first few moments when our praise team is singing to just examine your heart and get it right with God. And then as you feel led, nobody's compelled, but as you feel led, just come on up to one of the tables. There's a table in the back, two tables in the front, and take the, the bread and the cup. solar panels and gas-powered generators to compensate for the inconsistent and unreliable supply of power. Without them, it's a roadblock to where they want to go as people and in their businesses. As Christians, we're not going to be able to lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ unless we power up. Without the Spirit's power, nobody comes to a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Without the Spirit's power, there's really no effective communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is absolutely no hope 
that we're going to be any different than the people who don't know Jesus. There's no transformation that happens. And so I invite you to pray with me and to rejoice with me. If you're here, you can rejoice that we have the Spirit's power. We just need to power up. And if you don't, it's available through personal faith in Christ in response to the Spirit's work. Let's pray. Father, as children of God, we never, ever walk alone. You've told us you would never leave us or forsake us. I pray for each of us here that the thought that we are your children is a result of your Spirit's work in us, and we would rejoice in it. And if we're here and we don't know Jesus, that we would ponder that reality. I pray that you'd give us boldness in our proclamation as we draw upon your Spirit's power, you Holy Spirit, to empower us. And I pray that we would submit and yield and allow the Spirit of God to fill us ongoing, day by day, moment by moment. We would surrender. And I pray you, Holy Spirit, would prompt us, that we would be prompted by your Spirit and listen to your promptings to get our lives back in alignment with you. And I pray, Lord, that those who may be prompted by your Spirit and convicted of their sins, that they would just respond in faith by your trusting and crying out to you and accepting your gift of salvation. Go with us now in the power of the Spirit to speak up, to grow up, and to build up. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. You are dismissed.